Greetings! You are listening to Horror Nerds at Church, a podcast where we take a deep dive into a horror film and talk about what it can teach us about God, the Bible, and each other. My name is Joe, and I am the lesser-known Sanderson cousin uh, from the Philippines, and I was kicked out, not because I'm from the Philippines, y'all. The Sanderson sisters are very, very progressive. Uh, Winifred found out that I couldn't carry a tune. So I was I was just out of the room. Oh, <laughs> I can see that. Mm. Um, and I'm Pace, and I am the word virgin, which is said at least nine times, possibly more in this film. <laughs> Take a shot. And I'm Kay, and I am Binx's sister, who is so jealous that he got to spend all those years as a cat. Let's be real. <laughs> And I'm Emily, and I'm the eye that blinks out of the book, staring creepily at you. <laughs> Scary. Ooh, I I'm love so excited. It. Um, um, and scared. Yes, excited and scared. So for our listeners at home, you have heard that we have two special guests, and we're going to um, take a moment to introduce them. They are the co-hosts of our parent podcast, or sibling podcast, as we sometimes call it, Nerds at Church. Um Pastor Kay Roloff is currently an interim pastor in the Southwest Minnesota Synod of the ELCA. Her areas of nerdery include classic sci-fi and fantasy, and more recently, folklore and fashion industry. She, her husband, and Magdalena the cat are ready for everyone to just get vaccinated, wear masks already, so we can finally talk about something else, please. Love it. Indeed, indeed. And we also have with us Reverend Emily E. Ewing, pronouns are they and them, dedicates their life to justice work locally and globally, revels in creativity and art, and is fed by Lutheran theological geekiness. Aren't we all? <laughs> they, grew up in the, they grew up in the land originally inhabited by the, or am I saying this right? Ute? Ute. 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 It, land originally inhabited by the Ute and the mountains they knew as the Shining Mountains in what is now known as Colorado and currently live on the ancestral lands of the Susquehannock. I've lived in Maryland for so long and I could never pronounce their names. Uh, They also live on land that belongs to the Piscataway as well as the Nantigo? Nantigo in what is now known as Baltimore, Maryland. Pastor Emily's ministry consists of pulpit supply and consulting for various congregations and communities, cultivating queries at querying.org, that's Q-U-E-E-R-Y-I-N-G.org, and co-creating the Nerds Church podcast, connecting to the revised common lectionary to all things nerdery. Welcome. We're so glad to be here. Thanks. I, I always refer to you all as like, you know, the 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 parent podcast. Or like the mothership. <laughs> like our, the I, mothership. <laughs> okay, mothership is funny. I'm not your mom. Um, sibling right. podcast yes. is yeah. fine. I refuse yeah. to be your mom. Sibling. I'm sorry. 
Or if you're a Star Trek fan, you all are TOS. We're TNG. <laughs> Ooh, absolutely. Love it. <laughs> so we've been on an episode of your podcast where we talked about whether or not Jesus is a zombie around the Easter season. It was season. a great discussion. It was so fun. <laughs> and so we just couldn't wait to have you all on. And we're glad to be able to talk about the movie today is Hocus Pocus. We'll get into that in just a little bit. But before we do, um, can you all talk a little bit about go a little bit more into detail about what your podcast is, what you kind of do with it. And um, you could even share a little bit about the history of HP at church if you want to before, but that's up to you. We can cut that part out. If not, yeah. Bas- <laughs> basically, can you tell everyone how awesome exactly. you are? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so our podcast, um, we look at the readings that a lot of congregations read in worship um, each Sunday. So it's a weekly podcast, and then we talk about them and make connections to nerdy things. In our current iteration as Nerds at Church, we do a deep dive into something thematic for the episode. So um, in the episode that Pace referred to um, when we had Horror Nerds at Church on, we talked about Jesus being a zombie, and it was during the Easter season. Um, (laughs) In the last couple of months, we've done, we did one on cussing, in the biblical cussing, uh, because Jesus calls a woman a dog. We did one on children and childism and children in worship. and one of my favorite deep dives that we did was when we invited a science teacher on and we talked about the ascension and when would a normal human actually die if they ascended that into space? That's such a cool one. Yep. I love that what actually happens to your body as it is. Um, yeah. What are the physics of such an event? Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. so cool. Um, and y'all just yeah. finished a series that you had over part of the summer on the bread of life where you had a lot of people who cook and stuff on and shared recipes it was just a really cool series so you y'all do all sorts of cool things yes i recommend having snacks in the house (laughs) if you listen to those episodes (laughs) (laughs) truth and we had some really fun and cool graphics kay did a lot of them but also pace did some fun graphics for those which was fun and the i mean the origins of our podcast are rooted in harry potter um which is a complicated thing, particularly for me as a trans person, but also is mm. the reality of like mm-hmm. a big part of my nerdery comes from Harry Potter. And so that's Kay and I were in a, one of the, one of the clergy groups we're in together and we were talking about podcasts and I mentioned wanting to do a podcast connecting Harry Potter and the Bible. And Kay was like, Oh, that sounds awesome. And so like, yes, it was, tell me when. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> that kind of was where it was birthed and we were doing it for a while. And then it just got to the point where the author was just who is only dead in a literary sense, but is very, very dead in a literary sense. Yes. yes who is dead to me. <laughs> um, just was so, mm-hmm. yeah, was just. I mean, there had been like hints and there was plausible deniability and there's still a lot of mm-hmm. good stuff to get from the books. But we just, I got to a point where I couldn't keep yeah. engaging them as a primary source with her um, being mm. such And Harry Potter deserves person. better creators and that's what fandom is for. For sure. Yes. Right. Yes. And that's also kind of, yeah. 
interesting that the podcast y'all expanded from Harry Potter at church to nerds at church in such a way that allowed for the creation of our podcast. So it's kind of cool that <laughs> by expanding your podcast beyond the Harry Potter books to all things nerdery, um, it got Emily and I talking about horror nerdery stuff, which gave was the origin of the idea for this podcast. And so we are more the, like mm -hmm. I was saying earlier, the adult after hours version, cause we deal with horror. So we talk a little bit about more of the rated <laughs> R stuff, but um, nevertheless, mm -hmm. a lot of our format follows theirs. Like we have a deep dive. Ours is a little bit more of a general deep dive discussing the theology of the film, but like, so it's just, it's really cool to have this kind of full circle moment. So thank you all both so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's really exciting to be on here and to be able to experience that, all of those circles and points along the way. For sure, for sure. Absolutely. Right? It's so cool to be part of y'all's journey. <laughs> yep, yep. Mm -hmm. um, just a few quick announcements before we get into the film. So this episode is coming out in October, which means that um, recently our episode with 1991 movie rewind podcast likely dropped which is on the film the very fun campy film um people under the stairs so definitely check that out <laughs> and then also um it means that our patreon should have launched by now so uh definitely yes. uh we'll, we'll say more about that we have planned next week we're recording it out of order but next week we joe and i have planned to record an episode about the patreon stuff so stay tuned for that or listen to it as it's probably already out on your feeds um but if you can support us on patreon that'd be great we um the podcast is a work of love so joe and i put a lot of time effort and money into it and nerds at church also has a patreon so definitely support them mm -hmm. as well and i'm sure you'll yes. share that at the end so people can find y'all yeah um definitely. but if you can't support us with money of course rating and reviewing us on itunes or wherever you get your podcast telling your friends those are also great ways to support us as well so thank you if you're considering that a sneak peek of some of the bonus material we plan to have on Patreon. Uh, there are going to be some deleted audio clips from me because I said I have said things that are too hot even for our rating. <laughs> wow. Oh dear, yes. That's impressive. <laughs> it's more like Matt is like, Jesus Christ, here he is lusting after another man, so we're going to have to cut this one because it's the fifth time I, in this one single I, episode. I... I can feel Matt clutching his pearls <laughs> over the internet. You know, I was about to ask, am I allowed to lust after other men? But this is Hocus Pocus we're going to be talking about, so there's really not any decent options. I know, right? Okay. Unless you find Doug Jones attractive, which, depending on what he, depending on what role he is, he kind of can be. Without makeup, of course, he's a very handsome man. But as yeah. Billy, he's a little bit... <laughs> dead oh, okay i was like which one is that because i was thinking about billy and i was like you could lust after billy yep well a, a guy that doesn't talk right <laughs> not gonna oh, you. yeah dad killer was kind of uh yeah handsome, aka the dad the actor charles, charles rocket, rocket but... yeah yeah he um yeah there were some uh emotional issues so. 
going on there. So in case you haven't gotten it, we are talking about Hocus Pocus, directed by Kenny Ortega, who is probably most known for this film, tied with perhaps High School Musical, uh, also directed Newsies, uh, another great musical film. His um, Kenny Ortega is on Instagram, y'all, <laughs> and it's just vacation pictures of him uh majority of them are him shirtless <laughs> he is a he is a gay man and he what is also done a lot of choreography so he did the choreography for that dance scene in ferris bueller's day off he also did the choreography for dirty dancing um so like wait pace yes. he's a he's a gay man who did choreography really what? <laughs> oh my God. I, I, wow okay so you know related to all stereotypes <laughs> yeah. related to newsies before we move on did you guys know that the cast of newsies actually made a horror film while they were making the movie i did newsies? not know this <gasps> what it's it's called blood on newsies <sighs> square and last time i checked it was available on youtube so it's hilarious. Uh, one of the guys from the movie plays uh, a, oh, and now his name is escaping me and that's just not fair. Um, the Aww. the guy who played uh, Barney Fife on uh, on the Andrew Griffith show. Um, oh, oh, okay. Guy, is it Don uh, Knotts? Knox. Don Knotts, yes, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so one of them plays Don Knotts and then there are a series of horrible murders and lots and lots and lots and lots of so much. Oh, wow. Blood and it's really spectacular uh, sadly christian bale did not participate but almost all of the the bit characters oh, that's guys so did. fun so, i've never heard of this so now i need to go look into this uh i have heard that there are people who not only get christian bale to sign copies of newsies which apparently makes him blush like mad and just try to bury himself under the table but you can also try to get him to sign New uh, blood on newsies square and he will probably start oh what so, <laughs> Wow. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. That's so interesting. Our Matt's and my close friend Brian, he is so obsessed with the newsies, both the Broadway and the original film. So yeah. like I now I have like this piece of trivia that I have to go to him. See, I'm sure he knew about it, but it's like, why didn't you tell me <laughs> if you knew about it as the horror fan that you know I am? Right. Yeah, that's a wild piece of trivia. I I, 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 it's, it's not an exaggeration for me to say that my entire sixth grade class loved Newsies. That was wow. like the defining movie of our elementary school years. Oh, yes. I love that movie. Yep. Yep. I still do. I don't know that I've ever actually seen it. It's cute. Oh. oh it looks it, cute. It's one of the fandoms that launched me into fandom. and oh. Dis Disney so. Plus, mm -hmm. it's on there. Both the Broadway version, I think, is also on Disney Plus and... I have not actually seen the Broadway version. I hmm. I'm very like possessive and jealous of the original version, and I don't think like no matter how yeah. good the Broadway version is, that's I don't absolutely that fair. I do so, enjoy the Broadway version, real. but I, I I completely understand that. But I, they're both on Disney Plus. I'm pretty sure, Emily. So we should do uh, Rivers reviews or something. Just saying, maybe do newsies. It'd be yes. fun. Um, mm -hmm. So this movie came out in 1993, and I just kind of want to go around and see what everyone's first memories of this movie were where did you see it in theaters if you you don't have to reveal your age maybe you don't want to say that but like do you see it in theaters if you're old <laughs> enough to have done that i mean i was eight or something so i'm pretty sure i saw this in theaters but what about you all well i absolutely saw this in theaters when it came out uh, i was probably about nine at the time um and 
I had nightmares a lot as a kid. I'm not sure I actually had a dream that wasn't a nightmare until I was uh, fully grown up and like over 18. But the nightmares that I had after this movie were apparently a class unto themselves. And I woke up screaming for a while after this. Like I still, if I mention the name of this movie to my parents, they still kind of wince. (laughs) Um, and it was absolutely Winifred that freaked me out Uh, Bette Midler hit the creepy slash slightly unreal line just perfectly for Mm -hmm. nine-year-old me somehow Um, I have no memory of what those nightmares actually contained but yeah they were apparently pretty bad I don't remember I know I've seen it at least one other time but it had to have been like in college or seminary or something I did not grow up with it I didn't see it as a kid. Um, yeah, so I know I've seen it before, but I don't have a memory of seeing it really until, you know, a couple nights ago. Oh, well, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's not so bad. I, I watched it uh, for the first time as an adult when Pace and I screened this for the podcast. And prior to that, I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. Um, but I remember how much I loved it as a kid. Um and it's one of those movies that uh, I don't know about um, you all, but for me, uh, it was like that movie that I watched as a kid. And then I grow up and I never want to revisit it again because it's that movie mm-hmm. that I watched as a kid. Um, but mm-hmm. I'm so glad that I met you all to upend <laughs> that <laughs> notion. But, yeah. For me, this is it's funny you say that, Joe, because for me, I know I saw this in theaters when I when I was a kid, like eight or something, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but it just became one of those movies that was shown every Halloween in grade school. Like they would mm-hmm. just put it on the VHS if the teacher didn't feel like teaching because it's a holiday and kids are all excited. So just put it on the yeah. VHS. Let oh, the kids yeah. watch it. Like yeah. the only other movie I think that that was that i remember from childhood where that it was like the go-to movie was the sandlot and as an adult i hate yeah. the sandlot because it was exactly like <laughs> you said it was like it's that movie from a kid i was was so oversaturated with it yeah. but for some reason hocus pocus isn't like that for me i've always loved this movie i've seen it probably like two dozen times over my life and my husband is a, our editor is a huge huge hocus pocus fan so it's one of the few scary movies he well scary i say in quotation marks but it's one of the few scary movies <laughs> that he will actually watch with me since he does not like horror movies so that that's so interesting our our go-to movie in elementary school was never ending story i feel like we watched it every grade level <laughs> so I don't remember what our go-tos were. Oh. Neither of those. I remember, like, my my one friend, Jenny, is just a few years older than me. Her go-to movie in grade school was um, The Goonies. But I didn't watch The Goonies till mm-hmm. I was in college, so I just never was into it. But since she grew up on it, she's much more a fan. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen... I, just say, I don't think I've ever seen The Goonies, and I didn't watch Sandlot again until, like college or seminary yeah i didn't see goonies until college either huh i just missed all the classics yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's fine um so just a quick some quick background uh and kind of behind the scenes about this joe you had mentioned how this movie started off kind of as a more actual horror film that kind of got toned down when disney got involved and took the project can you say a little bit more about that 
I did. Well, so when we were screening the movie for the podcast, I was reading the credits and I was shocked to see Mick Garris listed as one of, one of the writers for this movie uh, because I associate him with some darker works. I believe he did at least one of the Stephen King miniseries adaptations that used to be on ABC back in the day. Um, but so I, I was so curious, I looked it up and I found out that Hocus Pocus started life in the mid 80s as a much darker movie. And then basically it just sat in development hell. And unsurprisingly, uh, Bette Midler is the one who rekindled interest in this. Bette Midler, apparently the role of Winifred was originally um, going to be Cloris Leachman, which would have been a very different movie, I think. Really? really? But um, Bette Midler got. Who is that? Cloris Leachman. Um, can you name any credits she's been off the top of her? Like, I think of Raising Hope as one of the more recent things she was involved oh, okay. in. Okay. Um. Yeah, that's that's the one I. I her face. It, you may recognize her face when you see it. Just uh, yeah. Uh, she she did a lot of stuff with Mel Brooks. If you're if you're a Mel Brooks fan out there, mm-hmm. um, I I think she did some TV, um, in in the in her later part of her career. Uh, Raising Hope as. Uh, Pace had mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, and she was also in Dancing with the Stars, I think, one of the seasons, if you're into that uh, show as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mary Tyler Moore was kind of one of one of the things that launched her career, but she recently passed away, I think. This I year. love Mary Tyler Moore. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, such a good show. So the 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 guy that was the news guy from Mary Tyler Moore also died recently. Last uh, yes. Very sad. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, he was a prolific tweeter right until the end. Yes. So yeah. So interesting how this movie would played out if Cloris Leachman was Winifred instead. But like Bette Midler really made this role her own, even to the point of mm-hmm. I believe rewriting and shaping the character Winifred a little bit. Um, too. Uh, Steven Spielberg was originally asked to direct this or to co-produce it yeah. with Amblin Entertainment as oh, yikes. Uh, with Disney, but he said no because Disney was one of the bigger competitions for him. But you can kind of still see Thank some you. of his influence there. He was involved in some of the uh, early kind of turning this script into more of a family-friendly script and kind of the design for that. Mm-hmm. And he also visited the set a few times as it was being filmed. Max as the disaffected child is definitely a Spielberg right. trope. <laughs> so much. And then what's interesting is James Horner was asked to compose for the film, but he had to step out after he already started working on it. And so there's like three or four songs that are his, including the song that Sarah Sanderson sings towards the end, which is a very James really? Horner sounding melody. If you know his work. Yeah. And but he was replaced Another by John one. Debney with only two weeks to write the rest of the music before they started recording with the orchestra. So he pu- wow. turned it around pretty quickly and created what I think is still a pretty effective score. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. I had no idea about the music. Uh James Horner, another one who passed within the last couple of Oh he of did? Years. I did not know that. He did. Uh he he was flying a private plane and it crashed. Oh, no. oh dear. Um, also interesting while we're on the music is the song I put a spell on you is perhaps 
mm. her version, um, mm-hmm. Bette Midler's version, and this is probably the most well-known version of this song. But just to kind of problematize this a little bit, a white woman singing a song originally written by Screaming Jay Hawkins, a black man, and her version is more well-known and more revered and loved than the original is just mm. um, one of those appropriative things that is part of our culture, unfortunately, but also part of this movie's history. Mm. But there is a reference to, so um, Pet Miller, I would say one of the roles that really kind of launched her career uh, was Gypsy. Uh, she played, yeah, she played um, the mother of the title character, Gypsy. And um, there's a song. Own problematic thing. Right. But this is the name of yeah. a real life yeah. person that the musical is based on, but still just okay. that word it, in and of yeah. itself is um, a slur yes. for the Romani people. But yeah, so um, the there's a song Rose's Turn, which is kind of the final part of that where the character Bette Midler played with, named Rose is kind of this overbearing mother who's trying to get her children to become successes in the music industry mm-hmm. and because she herself is very talented but kind of due to various reasons wasn't able to follow her dream so she's trying to live it out vicariously through her kids so really kind of problematic and abusive storyline but her final song is her like finally real like claiming for herself what she kind of missed out on her life and she in that song says hello world my name is rose what's yours and then bet midler begins the ice put a spell on you by saying hello salem i'm winifred my name's winifred what's yours and so it's one of those like intentional kind of allusions to that right sure. right she I, was so good in that right? movie yeah i'm glad you brought this up pace i um because i, I wasn't sure if this was something that was going to that was going to be addressed on the episode uh, today. Uh, but when that musical number started, when um, Winifred starts singing, I put a spell on you, I, I recognize the melody. And then of course, when she started singing the lyrics, um, I, I I thought about how much I like that song. And I do know about the background of that song as well. I, my One of my side hobbies is the great American songbook. So I like all <laughs> these m- these pieces of music from like that part of uh, the 20th century. Um, And so I was watching the performance and it was a strange and unique feeling that I think most people who live in liminal spaces slash intersectionalities will feel it's like a special kind of awkwardness because I'm sitting there and I'm like enjoying the movie. And then I also thought, wait a minute that you know this song has a specific history and now it's here in this context and that's so weird and then of course that other opposing voice um that's saying oh you're taking this way too seriously so yeah all of that was happening (laughs) while i was watching watching that scene inside the mind of an intersectional brown person yeah yeah there's there's a few moments like that that are kind of a little bit Overall, I feel like the film has aged well, but there are a few moments where there's it's a little yeah. cringe, cringy is in our 21st century context. Not excusing it for being a 90s movie because I mean it's still wrong then, but just yeah. within that context, things um, being different. But overall, I think it's aged pretty well. I know um, 
just real quick, there's a sequel coming out on Disney Plus in 2022, uh, which apparently the mm-hmm. original cast is coming back. There's also a YA novel, um, Hocus Pocus and the all-new sequel that came out two or three years ago, I think, um, by A.W. Jatha. Very fun. Very, it's officially licensed sequel to it, um, and it's very fun, very queer. Uh, it's about uh, Max and Allison's daughter, Poppy, and it's set 25 years later, and Poppy has a crush on a i believe non-binary femme if i'm remembering correctly it's been a few years since i read it but just great book if you're into ya novels check that sequel out um i think you had some notes here Kay, about some of the uh the costuming and stuff Yes. Uh, so I have two YouTube suggestions uh, for you all, if you're interested, uh, because who among us has not fallen into a YouTube or podcast vortex during the pandemic? Never. Uh, I'm certainly one of them. <laughs> uh, and uh, so first, there is a video that is the third part in a thir- three-part series where Nicole Rudolph puts together a mostly historically accurate Winifred costume. Like, if Winifred was from 1693, what would she have actually worn? Oh, wow. Uh, and it, it's a fab- fabulous series. But if you're not really interested in the costume-making part, if you just watch the third part of the series where she uh, puts together a couple of the final details, and then she spends the last uh, eight minutes of that last video uh, dressing up with two of her friends as the Sanderson sisters and romping (laughs) and basically uh, doing little scenes from the film, dancing, uh, hamming it up and having a lovely time. Um, They do the the scene where they walk down the sidewalk, discover the road, and then shove Sarah into it because they think it's a river. Um, And then they also do the scene where they wake up after they thought they had died. And it's, uh, and a couple others, I think. Uh, So they're having a lot of fun. Uh, So Uh, That is a video by Nicole Rudolph. And then secondly, if you're more into the hairstyle than you are the fashion style, uh, there is a video by Morgan Donner uh, that covers 500 years of women's hairstyles in Western Europe and the Americas uh, in about 45 minutes. Uh, And she actually like gives herself a bit of a haircut for some of them. And then there's a surprise twist (laughs) ending. But among other things, she does... uh, cover the hairstyle that Winifred would have worn and Winifred's hairstyle is not terribly inaccurate in the movie. Um, the other two hairstyles uh, for Sarah and Mary are incredibly <laughs> inaccurate. Obviously uh, Mary's hair looks like a fake, a fake witch's hat. Um, and Sarah's is very nineties, but, uh, uh, but the, the hairstyles that she covers are really interesting. And she actually talks about like, why did this get more popular? That kind of thing. Uh, and so I really enjoyed that video. Thank you so much. That, that's fun. And now I definitely also feel like I'm going to get sucked into a YouTube rabbit hole around the fashion of this movie. But it is... <laughs> I'm excited. Yes, uh, Coztube, uh, Coztube is costuming YouTube. And they do a lot of cosplay. They do a lot of fashion uh, and history and stuff. And it's fabulous. Sounds fabulous. Um, so I guess we're up to the point where we will rock, do a quick walkthrough of the movie. Um... So the film begins in 1693 in Salem, Massachusetts. Thackeray Binks, and I just have to say that is a very strange name. <laughs> so, fun fact: um, one of my best friend, my one of my best friends, um, one of her like pet peeves or like hobbies is figuring out if a name actually would have been common at the time that something That's is that cool. name. And yeah. Um, 
So she's done it with like the notebook and the chances of like two people with those names getting together are like still very slim to none. Um, and really? That, yeah. So I just real quick like tried to Google it, but Thackeray um, was a name option. Like the first records of it are as a last name in 1379, but it doesn't, it doesn't get as popular. Like it starts to have a couple, like a handful of baptisms in the 16th and 17th, 17th century where Zachary is the first name, but it actually doesn't get po- very popular until the 19th century. Oh, wow. So um, kind of inaccurate. Yeah. I didn't even know it was a real name. So that's like a huge step on me. Um, <laughs> Neither did I so. until I Googled it. Uh, so... Well, well, Emily, you mentioned the notebook, which I I love it. I love it. So I don't know if you all are going to judge me for that. I love cheese wall sandwich <laughs> movies. Uh, but Thacker is the last name of Hugh Grant's character in Notting Hill. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's right. Yeah. Yep. So that's why it sounded kind of familiar to me. Yeah, it started. It started as his last name in Yorkshire, according to the thing. So Thackeray. Binks mm-hmm. is a real name, I guess, or could potentially be a real name. <laughs> uh, but he wakes yeah. up to find out his little sister Emily. We have an Emily here is missing. I know we do. So, also, um, it wasn't me. Just for the record, <laughs> I was not that Emily. And while Emily is a ridiculously common name in the twentieth and twenty first centuries emily as a name actually was not very popular in the 17th century oh wow so it came again it like comes up first mentioned in like 1340 but it's not really common emily or amelia were used occasionally in britain in the 16th and 17th centuries but it wasn't until like the 18th century when Amelia became fashionable, and then Amelia and Emily are kind of um, sure play off each other. But Emily steadily grew in popularity over the course of the 19th century, so that it was really popular in the later 19th century. I mean that kind of that kind of tracks because during the movie, I I got this weird vibe that Emily was kind of a modern sounding name to have existed at that time and then i just dismissed it because i tend to have very nerdy thoughts like that cross my mind all the time well but just because a name sounds modern doesn't mean it is modern like i don't know if your uh name interested friend had told you this one emily but uh, the name Tiffany actually dates back to early Christianity. Uh, there was a, a sibling of a Roman in, wow. empire or noble or something. Um, it, it it was a perfectly reasonable name in like the I, uh, between the 300s and the 1300s, and then I think it fell out of favor for a while. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it it sounds very modern to us, but actually it's very historical. So. It, was a short, shortened version of a much longer name, I think. Yeah. Oh, so, Kay, did that <laughs> Tiffany go to breakfast at any point? <laughs> I, I would have Tiffany. to imagine. Oh, dear. Like, if you, if you skip breakfast every day in the 300s, you're going to die. Oh, for the best. So, yeah, probably. So, that's, you know, yeah, facts. So, what I'm learning is that Mr. and Mrs. Binks, or whatever the parents of Thack, we see his dad at least, uh, 
have very peculiar for their time tastes and names. Maybe they're just nerdy themselves. Yeah. And like, we're going to start a trend mm-hmm. that's going to really only take yeah. off in the next 150, 200 years. <laughs> a couple centuries from now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, clearly there wasn't much to do in Salem. You either take a hobby in figuring out name backgrounds or you accuse people you don't like of witchcraft. Yeah, I was going to say, are these people supposed to be Puritans? Because, like, Thackeray Banks really does right. not come off None... as Puritan. <laughs> it, no. the, the opening scene, there's a lot of questions here because, like, it really doesn't make sense to me. But so he and his friend go to the woods to find emily who went missing and they find her at the sanderson sisters house they have taken emily captive in order to drink her life force away killing her in the process and basically giving the three sanderson sisters who live there eternal youth and so we're introduced to the sisters they're winifred the oldest and leader of the group portrayed by Bette midler sarah the airhead of the group portrayed by sarah jessica parker and Mary, the sister with the unique ability to smell children. And just uh, trivia, apparently in the original draft of the script, she was envisioned to be part bloodhound. So that explains some of the dog-like mannerisms she has and why she has a really good sense of smell. Like her... Huh. That's yep, why she her... barks. Yeah. Oh, that makes so much more sense now. Yes. Okay. Thank you for yeah, that. Yeah, her mom, apparently, I... like in the background of the character, her mom, apparently, like the mother that they all revere, apparently had an affair with the dog. So some interspecies breeding here, and that resulted in her. Um, and she's portrayed by Kathy mm-hmm. Najimi. Um, and so Thackeray. I can't call him Thackeray. Oh my gosh. I know you're saying it's a real name, but it just sounds so weird. No offense if your name is Thackeray. You can call him Binks. That's okay. He does become Binks, yeah. the cat. Yeah, just call him Binks. So yeah. Thackeray Binks, Binks has his friend go back to town to get help while he tries to foil the sister's plans. He is instead found out and turned into an immortal cat. And his sister is murdered and drained of her life force. But before the sisters could complete the spell, the townspeople arrive and put them on trial for killing Thackeray. They do not know that Thackeray is now a cat. And Emily. The sisters hmm. use their magic book to offer a curse that on Halloween night with a full moon, a virgin will light the black flame candle and they will return. With that, the sisters are hanged. And Thackeray is uh, rejected by his father. Which yes, is just and weird. also weird, Thackeray can <laughs> I mean... speak English in modern day, but he <laughs> couldn't communicate to his dad, only meow to his father. And I mean, he had just been through That's a fairly true. major trauma. Maybe he so... needed to learn yeah. how to get Elective his mutism. cat vocal cords to make human-like sounds or something. I don't know. That makes sense. He had 300 years <laughs> to practice, so that's good. Indeed. Uh, we fast forward 300 years to Halloween. Max Dennison, played by Omri Katz, who really is only other known for this movie in Erie, Indiana, that TV show, which was really cute and nerdy. Kind of like a kid's version of Twilight Zone. Um, yeah. Uh, so Max recently has moved to Salem uh, from Los Angeles. He is a Halloween skeptic, I guess. Like that's one of the defining parts of his character. Uh, I don't know how you can be That's skeptic what of Halloween. Cool but... kids in LA do, right? He's. Yeah. I mean, there is you that know, like was... time period where like you stop, like where Halloween is no longer cool, right? Halloween, That's true. yeah, but he takes a step further to say that it's like a conspiracy theory by candy companies. <laughs> Not even right. though, of course, we know the origins uh, come from uh, Christian with All Hallows Eve, which is its own version of 
uh, kind of pagan mm-hmm. and indigenous yeah. origins of Europe. So, but <laughs> which uh, which uh, who is it? Allison. She'll go on to explain yes. that, right? Yeah. They do not <laughs> yeah. bring up sowing here, but um, from the Halloween series, if you go back to season one of our podcast, you can hear Joe and I talk about how the Halloween franchise uses Samhain, which they, of course they say incorrectly mm. is supposed to be sowing, <laughs> but a pagan holiday that kind of predates Halloween. So, right. Um, yeah, so he's a cool LA tie-dye layback dude. <laughs> <laughs> That that there's so many uh, California stereotypes that are inaccurately intersecting in the portrayal <laughs> of this character. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I can... yeah, I love that Disney tried so hard to make him into a cool LA teen right. and managed to miss all right? of it. missed all of the beats. Because like, if he is from LA, you can understand that he thinks Halloween is passe, but he's wearing the tie-dye shirt. So like, okay, has he been to NorCal then? Or <laughs> does he have people in NorCal? So Yeah. Yeah. He he just comes across as an asshole, and we can talk about this a little bit later, but like his character he's just not Oh yeah. Even as a young child watching this movie, I just did not yeah. identify with him at all. I just thought he was kind of a jerk. His sister is mm-hmm. much more cool. I also right. remember being very disappointed right. that he wasn't cuter. Like, <laughs> come on, fan service, people. Let's go. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I was just disappointed um, that he was a... Well, he sucked as a big brother, at least in the beginning yeah. of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Max tries to impress his classmate, Allison, played by Vanessa Shaw, which backfires. She returns his phone number they wrote down and tried to, like, sleuthily give to her. Um on his way bold right, moves on his way home from school two bullies named ice and jay they <laughs> they steal his shoes okay i just have some issues <laughs> this entire like movie and the concept of like conflict in the movie like no one is good at fighting here <laughs> it's like huh <laughs> I don't I mean, see a super easy <laughs> escape. Okay. Turn me into a cat. Take my shoes. Like, there's not <laughs> even a, like, attempt to resist or to fight back. Which is also impressive because then, like, especially when Thackeray gets turned into a cat, because then the townspeople are like, oh, but we will put you on trial. How did they get right. caught? How did they catch the sisters? Oh, well, the friend went and got the townspeople and brought them to the Santa's yes. cabin. That and was, Emily's yeah. dead body witches. was there. So that would... But they're witches! How <laughs> did they, like, right? look around and say, like, well, I when guess the dig is up. doesn't think oh, to yes, use the true. book until she is literally about to be hanged. Like, you couldn't have used that a little bit earlier. <laughs> you talk you wait till yeah, the very last it, minute. What if it's an... What if yeah. it's just an ego thing? You know, Winifred thought she's more powerful than she really was. I mean, yeah, I would not be surprised. <laughs> Accurate. Agnes Nutter was definitely better at, at all this kind of thing, but from Good Omens. Mm-hmm. It's on my list. The book and the it is excellent. adaptation. Yeah. So picking up with uh, Max, who 
does not bother fighting his way out from the police. Maybe he's a pacifist. <laughs> he is from California. He's he, he's from California. But he makes it home mm-hmm. and is told by his parents he has to take his younger sister, Danny, trick-or-treating. Danny, played by Thora Birch. Uh, he reluctantly... Ag- Teeny tiny know, Thora so Birch. <laughs> so adorable. She is my favorite. I love her so much. Danny is the best in this movie. Like She is yes. the heroine we deserve. But we're going to get to why in just a minute. So he reluctantly agrees. She dresses as a witch. While out trick-or-treating, they end up at Allison's house. Allison and Danny end up talking about the Sanderson sisters. And Allison says that her parents used to run the Sanderson sisters museum. So in trying to impress Allison, and because of his sister's enthusiasm for the story of the Sanderson sisters, Max suggests the three of them go to the museum. Allison and Danny reluctantly agree. Uh, Allison shows them around and Max jokingly asks Allison if she is a virgin and should light the black flame candle, which she declines. Just... <laughs> By the way, I I believe I noticed this correctly. I don't think she ever answers that question. She does not. I think, yeah, Max cheerfully because it's a terrible he's question. a virgin several times. Well, yeah. yes, but also, it, I love the fact that Max is failing again and again and again to get anywhere with her and it's heavily implied that she has way more yes. experience than he does yeah, and he's yeah. from california and she's from salem it, that's beautiful i'm glad you brought that up because that's kind of what my deep dive is is this talking about virginia in this film because the actress who or the actor who played um allison vanessa shaw has gone on record saying that fan theory is accurate there she is trying to imply that she's skirting the question because she is not a virgin and so as an actress that was what she would how she was reading that scene so so that's gonna come back so keep that in mind everyone uh but um so (laughs) uh max then lights a candle himself because god knows why and clearly it works so he clearly is a virgin so i like that it's kind of um allison is not slut shamed or anything like that it's just like kind of a act it's just right. part of how this movie is that allison's the one with the more experience mm-hmm. max is the one who's a virgin and so kind of flips that trope on its head in a fun way i think um he then lights a candle himself the house begins to shake and green light glows from beneath the floorboards the three hide the witches return and winifred finds her spell book mary sniffs out danny and they're about to capture her when max springs out and uses his lighter to turn on the sprinkler system which he calls the rain of death which scares the sisters and allows them to escape <laughs> oh my gosh i love that part oh no hang on i'm sorry i i have to i have to fix something here because that is not how that <laughs> went down uh, danny Danny absolutely sprang out of her hiding place and claimed that she yes. was the one who lit the candle yep. and tried to save both Max and Allison in the That's process. That's right. And like 30 seconds, 30 seconds after like screaming in terror when she realized that the sisters were on their way, she was trying to pull a con yes. on them. This is when I fell in love she with her. She is fantastic. Yes. I'm so glad you brought it up because she is. I love the, her so much. She is like the bright star of this movie. And in that YA novel. She actually reminds me of Hermione. Right. In that sense. Oh, in that yeah. YA novel I mentioned yep. um, in the beginning, the sequel, it is heavily implied that Danny is a lesbian in that. So just another... That novel is very queer, first of all, the sequel. So Now I really want to read this you book. should. You know. It's basically divided <laughs> into two halves. The first half is a novel, a YA retelling of the movie. And then the second half is the sequel part. So it's really good, though. Hmm. Um, 
I am also just still pissed off that I was never able to find a version of Danny's uh, outfit to wear <laughs> for Halloween myself uh, as a child. I looked every year for like Aww. five years and I am still angry I never found it because it, her costume is awesome. Oh, well, what about Max's costume? He was a rap singer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No comment for Max's costume. <laughs> <laughs> the way he said rat singer was hilarious for some reason. So yeah. yeah um so after uh Danny springs on the witches and tries to trick them. So thank you again, Kay, for correcting my um thing there. But uh after after that piece, mm-hmm. then um Max does his black reign of death thing or whatever and scares the sisters. And so on the way out, a talking black cat introduces himself to Max as Binks. As in Thackeray Binks, he's still alive and he was tasked with preventing the sister's return. He makes sure that Max grabs the spell book on the way out and they leave. Winifred realizes it was a trick and explains their mission to her sisters. They are only resurrected while the black flame candle is still lit, which means at dawn the next morning they will die unless they can steal more life force from more children. The rest of the movie is mm. essentially a cat and mouse game where the sisters chase the kids through Salem on Halloween night to get the book mm. back. And I just kind of put a few notable scenes here that we can expound on if y'all want to comment on them. But uh, so there's the, I put a spell on you and Max tries to warn his parents that some sort of parent dance, I guess, and in the gymnasium. And that's when uh, Winifred sings her song and puts a spell on the parents mm-hmm. to dance until they die. Yeah, that was a very child friendly adult dance. I'm just saying. Right. Although the Madonna costume <laughs> yeah. from Max's mom was kind of fun. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's fair. For a kids movie, like they're really kind of pushing some of the boundaries. Uh, Especially in that time period. Yeah, that's true. I was just kind of surprised there was no alcohol mentioned. I was really impressed with the uh, detailed Madonna costume. I mean, headset and everything. Yeah. I do love that line about um, uh, that. Her, uh, Danny's mom asked if she had too much candy and she's like oh, I only had three pieces I haven't even OD'd like just that it's so cute <laughs> but... oh man that that yeah mom you're wearing a Madonna costume take right. me seriously <laughs> <laughs> um, then there's a scene with the bus driver which is very adult for a kids movie where the bus driver is talking about how he could yeah. potentially impregnate the witches if he tried a few times hey yeah, that was creepy. So many questions about that scene. Like, I mean, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. this person drives the bus in Salem. <laughs> Does he have a record? I, I want to know. And then yeah. another fun scene is when the sisters go to their master Satan's house, play uh, Gary and Penny Marshall, <laughs> but he's just a dude in a costume. Oh, yes. But they think he's Satan. Kind of this fun little um, aside Billy, we meet Billy the zombie, played by Doug Jones, one of Joe's and my favorite actors, because he plays Saru in Star Trek Discovery. Remember, remember, um, Penny Marshall. They they think she's Medusa. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. And then the sisters kidnap the bully, so that's all part of this. Um, then the siblings and Allison decide to trick the sisters by bringing them to the school. This is really dark. If you think about Allison as what, like 16, 17, somewhere in that age, maybe even 18, that she immediately thinks, I'm going to burn these witches alive to death. And so she takes them to the kiln and sets them on fire. The sisters seemingly die. 
And Allison, Max, and Danny return to Max's house with the book and Binks. Did anyone else think that Allison's thought on opening that stove was, oh, we could burn the book in a stove? Like, that would make sense. But no, instead she jumps to, let's burn these people alive in a kiln. That's, yeah, that was a little... There is something about, like, book burning that in and of itself is a whole thing. But right. Also, like, right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But also, like, is the real horror here Allison's brain? <laughs> Just that thought process. Like, this woman has seen some shit. Uh, but... <laughs> Because, like, yep. she's just, yes, like, totally yes, passe. Has. It's like, I'm just going to burn these witches down. Hey. Um, Seriously. I mean, if she's yeah. not a virgin, really, what else could there be in her life? Right. But she is the grown-up in this group. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we find out, though, that, of course, the sisters did not die. And it's implied because the black flame candle is still lit. So, of course, they're not going to die until the next morning. But with Dawn coming soon, they worry that without the book, they will not be able to stay alive unless they can get the book back. And they are about to give up hope. Meanwhile, put a flag in this too, because this is going to be part of my deep dive. Max and Allison wake up in each other's arms and they decide mm. to use the book to see if there's a way to turn Binks back into a human. They open the book and mm. um, Binks wakes up and shuts it, scolding them. But it's too late. The sisters are alerted to the book and rush to the house, easily dispensed with Allison and Max and kidnap Binks and Danny. Sarah flies over Salem and calls the children. Notice in this scene, there are some another thing to put a flag in. There are some teenagers and even some adults walking towards the Sanderson house during this. So Sarah's flying mm. over Sam, calling the children with her song um, to feed them the potion. They brew the potion and are about to give it to Danny when Allison and Max catch up. They trick out uh, the witches by using headlights to make it seem like it's dawn already. Uh, Max knocks mm. over the potion and steals Danny and Binks back or takes them back. The sisters have enough of the potion to fill one vial, so they chase them on brooms, vacuum, and a mop because they're in a scene there, uh, brooms were stolen earlier. So just kind of a fun little scene there. I mean, I love the, like, moment of, okay, what do we have? Yes. An actual broom, a mop, and a vacuum. <laughs> vacuum cleaner <laughs> there's something theological and then they use the vacuum that. cleaner bit yeah. later yep. i love that too i yeah i just like how the visuals of that were played for laughs especially when the the camera gets to poor mary <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> dealing with her oh. vacuum and she looks down and she's like winnie <laughs> like looking at it nervously and then she just tries it it's just so her absolute resignation yes. over what she gets left with mm-hmm. so yeah. the witches follow the kids to the cemetery, which is hollowed ground. I already explained earlier in the movie that the witches can't step foot on it. The witches fly over the cemetery and capture Danny, but Binks knocks the vial potion out of their hands and Max catches it. Max drinks the vial, so the sisters are forced to drink his life force, but it seems ineffective. Hmm. The sun rises and Sarah and Mary explode into glitter. Winifred, still trying to consume Max's life force, inadvertently lands on the cemetery ground and begins to turn to stone before she also explodes into glitter too. Binks the cat dies, but he comes back as a soul or ghost or something where he says goodbye to Danny, very creepily whispers, I am always with you. And then he's reunited with the ghost soul or whatever of his sister, Emily. And they kind of like go into. Who's been room. wandering in the forest for three hundred years? Uh, right? right, yeah. It's 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 odd well, that they're just frolicking <laughs> all of a sudden. 
I, I definitely got the feeling that Emily had just returned from, like, the afterlife to fetch her brother. Mm. Like, oh, I did okay. not think that she had been uh, wandering aimlessly. Okay, yeah. And then they rock towards this, like, glowing sunset, and there's this trumpet fanfare. So it's, like, clearly, like, they're going to heaven or something is what they're trying to symbolize. Or some sort of positive afterlife ending for them. Um, and they all part mm-hmm. ways, and then there's the end. Then there's a quick post credit scene with the bullies singing Row, 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 the boat still captive in the Sanderson house. <laughs> and then also with the parents who um, the adults. are stumbling out of the <laughs> gymnasium that they had their dance in like the they next so morning. Gone. Like, wow, they really know how to party here in Salem. <laughs> yeah that was that was great because i kind of forgot about the parents so good follow-up yeah. there <laughs> yeah i had also forgotten how heavily this movie depends on embarrassment humor mm-hmm. i have a bit of an embarrassment squick myself mm-hmm. I, embarrassment humor doesn't do it for me i have to like pause the movie and like skip forward 10 seconds mm-hmm. so uh there are a few things but that's mostly at the beginning of the movie yeah. once you get past the setup and they actually start getting chased by the sanderson sisters uh then there's no more of that so i was just gonna say the humor that i really appreciated was all of the wordplay Right, because uh, he lost his head. Cat's got his tongue. It was yeah. The angel was like, "Bless you," and the witches are like in terror. If you are ah! an Enneagram nerd, Emily is a five, so that should be no surprise that they find the puns funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. is that those were excellent? Oh wow! So uh, clever word usage is a five trait. <laughs> Apparently, at least in the fives, I know. <laughs> Okay, well, to Kay's point, I was going to say that the um, bullying scene with Ice and Jay taking Max's shoes was really squeamish for me. I couldn't sit mm-hmm. through that. Yeah. I had troubles with Ice being called Ice, <laughs> particularly like as we're recording this. There's like real problematic stuff happening at the. There's always everything about ice is problematic, yeah. but um, right, right. There's extra, extra violent harm being done as opposed to just regular violent harm being done to um, Haitian immigrants. I mean, it is a good name for a bully who's right. stealing stuff from yeah. <laughs> the main character, but even so, like, yeah. Also, in the 90s, he would have been taking that from Vanilla Ice, mm-hmm. right. right? Right. Ice didn't yeah, even so. exist when this movie was made. It like, didn't. The, no. It, no it, frozen Water did. Frozen Water did. <laughs> but Just not the, the government agents. Immigration and Customs <laughs> Enforcement did not because they were created like, after 9-11. I realize that there may be some young people who are listening to this, even though they're not supposed <laughs> right. to go to bed, kids. But... Uh, but yes, Frozen Water did in fact exist in the 90s, even if iPods did. <laughs> well, fun fact about um, about ICE, not not the bullying agency, but the bully in the movie. <laughs> um, so Buffy the Vampire Slayer fans may remember him as Larry, the closeted jock. <laughs> um so funny at one point in the show he asked Buffy for like guy advice. So uh Anyway, that character was much more pleasant than Ice was. Hmm. Good for him. <laughs> Anything else before we go into our deep dive? I also just really love the aesthetic. Like, they mm-hmm. nailed the 90s for Halloween real. style stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that was, yeah, yep. uh, Halloween Town and, uh, and Hocus Pocus and uh, a few other movies all had that 
look, and I really enjoy it. Maybe it's nostalgic. I definitely yeah. hope to do Halloween okay. Town at some point in this fu- in the future of this podcast. Like, just Debbie Reynolds is such a amazing yes uh, so uh, yeah so yeah, that, so yeah that's on the list icon. so i hope we can get there we try to do two or three kids or not kids but like just non-scary more like all ages appropriate movies uh, for our fans who do not like outright scary movies or blood <laughs> and gore and slashers like our like usual yeah like emily <laughs> we're, we're making an emily episode yeah me too I was, uh, yeah, speaking to points that Emily and Kay both made, I agree that the look of the movie was really good. And also, uh, to go back to contextualizing the movie um, in terms of where we are right now in this contemporary moment, um, I remember I, I, I said to Pace during the movie, I loved how the town looked. Like, it was just a, such a classic autumn setting with all the leaves falling. And then, yeah. and, then and, I, and I said to myself, and then I said to Pace that I I really miss that about the East Coast. And then Pace goes, yeah, well, it's been really I warm know. here lately during the, you know, climate change. So I was like, oh, ice yeah. may have Ruining ex- everything. Ice, the frozen water may have existed in the 90s, <laughs> but it might not for much longer with climate change. So, for real. so much has changed since the early 90s. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, in the early 90s, I was worried about being killed by witches, and now I'm worried about being the killed real by horror. climate change. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Word. Yeah. Although these were not the witches that I was worried about uh, being killed from. I I was worried about the Death Becomes Me gals coming out. I love that movie. Meryl Streep and and Goldie Hawn. And Mm. Meryl Streep really freaked me out from that movie because of how she walked around with her head turned backwards half of the movie. Mm -hmm. I don't think I was allowed to see that movie. The witch that scared me like as a kid growing up was uh, Angelica Houston in Witches, I think is the name of that film. It was recently remade on uh, HBO Plus. The Witches. With, um, yeah. Uh, Inferior. Yeah. But Inferior. That, that was kind of like the go-to image of a scary witch in my head was that movie. I loved Charmed growing up, so I watched all of the Charmed movies. So I actually had an affinity sure. for witches. I, I, I never, yeah, I never got around to that for whatever reason. I mean, I was aware of it and um, it went on for a while. Just And it was set in mm-hmm. Oakland, so I'm surprised you didn't. Oh, was it? Yeah, it's set in Oakland. Oh, interesting. It's not filmed, like yeah. it looks okay. nothing like Oakland, but it's supposedly set oh, no. in Oakland. I mean, of course not. I, you know, I didn't know that. They, they couldn't afford to film there. Right. Oh, they mentioned San Francisco pretty but often. Yeah. That's this so film was, in fact, filmed, like, the exterior shots were filmed in Salem. So that kind of gives it a lot of that yeah. quaint feel. I mean, a lot of it was shot on studio. And you can kind of tell, like, especially if the graveyard scenes were all studio. But, like, the ex- the wide shots of, like, the town stuff, all Salem, Massachusetts. And you can go, like, I visited Salem mm-hmm. once and I went on a walking tour of all the... Um, the like the house that max lives in is a very prominent house in salem and stuff so you can kind of see all this stuff oh in addition to all of course the history history nerdy stuff that i was doing while i was there like going to the house of seven gables and on and on so Mm -hmm. yeah i want to do that trip i liked what we saw of um the inside of allison's house It, it it looks like it was legitimately you know a house uh from historical times you know repurposed for modern people to live in i wish we'd seen more of that interior 
Yeah, and they totally nailed the whole uh, Max as the cool LA teen must have an awesome bedroom thing. And a drum set. Uh, I kind of wish we'd gotten to see Danny. Like, Danny's bedroom would have been awesome. I think, but we didn't get to see oh, it. Oh, that's that's a that's a good point. No, um, Danny burst out from the closet, literally. <laughs> to... Right. <laughs> yes. And yeah, that was beautiful. like I said in the YA sequel. It seems I think if I remember correctly, it's been a few years since I read it. I'm pretty sure Danny is out as a lesbian, but also interesting is the protagonist Max and Allison's daughter is a um in, is attracted to. I think a non-binary femme, if I'm remembering correctly. So very queer. It's oh. a very cute um, little book. It's I, I would say like it's not the best YA, but like it's definitely like mid middle of the road YA. But the queerness of it makes it like worth it and so fun. So. Mm-hmm. Whereas Hocus Pocus is a piece of cinematic history yes, that will never be for forgotten. sure. Exactly. <laughs> and, indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Uh, so uh, the latest production news uh, to come out about Hocus Pocus 2 is that there, Disney is actually not going to be using Salem a lot for whatever reasons they're going to be in Rhode Island. Oh, interesting. So I don't know how that's going to affect the look of yeah. the movie. Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathy Najimi, and um, uh, Bette Miller, thank you. My, my my brain is getting foggy today. But um, yeah. You, you may also refer to her as the Divine Miss yes. M. <laughs> um she uh, all three of them are returning so that's cool i don't think i i remember mm. seeing that like news that it wasn't clear if thora birch would be returning but i really hope she does i love danny so it'd be great uh, thora, if she came back. thora birch thora birch made a really cryptic yeah. tweet <laughs> that nobody <laughs> nope everybody in social media land is trying to decrypt <laughs> so who yeah. knows good for you yeah. <laughs> absolutely Exactly. Like that's what Twitter is for. <laughs> right. I just troll all your fans by all means. Exactly. Yeah. So I think we're ready for a deep dive. Um, I want to get into some talk about Virgin stuff, but I want to hear what. <laughs> yeah, but I want to hear what our guests have to say first. So, what what did y'all yes. get out of this movie? Theologically, ecumenically, grammatically, to quote Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> I know Emily has a bunch of stuff, but real quick, I do just want to mention that I love the fact that for being a story about witches, this movie is pleasantly lacking in anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. I assume Bette Midler may have had something to do with that. But usually when you see literally anything that even vaguely mentions witches, you kind of have to hold your breath and wait to see how much anti-Semitism there's going to be. Yeah, and definitely. I didn't spot it here. So good for them. Yeah, for sure. I anytime there's three of anything, I automatically try to figure out who's who in the Trinity. And so I was trying to like <laughs> place them and so like Winifred as the like parent character or as the father um in the Trinity and then Mary as Jesus because she smells the children. <laughs> kind of like <laughs> gathering the children. And right. she also seems kind of interested in eating the children, which, you know, Jesus. I mean, people, we did have a Jesus you know, Loki um, series. Yeah. Yep. So that's it. <laughs> and then. Yeah. Mary loves you, but yeah. she's going to turn you into a loaf. That's yeah. what that means. Yeah. Great. <laughs> right. And then Sarah is like the Holy Spirit because she sings. I don't know. This is harder to do. It felt like a lot of stretching. Well, 
Joe and I, on our very first episode, compared the Trinity to the Slashers, um, Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, and uh, Freddy Krueger. So we we do similar. <laughs> this is right in our vein. Um, it's interesting that um, in the notes you mentioned the hair color because there is this trope in Hollywood that I think we that I think we can mention or should mention is that if you have three sisters especially if they're supernatural, whether they're witches or something like in the charm series is like this, but even things like um, Charlie's angels, the drew Barrymore movies that um, with Cameron Diaz and Lucy Liu, uh, there's mm. almost always a black haired one, a red haired one and a blonde haired mm. one. I don't know why it is, yep. but that's apparently yeah. Hollywood thinks that women come in three shades. That's, and that's diversity. It. Yes. It's diversity. That's diversity. Yes. That's how they do. That's and also not how DNA works, but it is how Clairol works. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> well, and it's <laughs> it's like the um, the times when the um, it's like the times when the what was it? I think it was the Magic School Bus, and then maybe like Power Rangers or something. But it like had a show. It was like this is who the magic school bus kids become. And it's like one cartoon of like, this is the required diversity into older. This is the required diversity. And it's literally like the same hair color, same skin color, oh my gosh. all of that stuff. Wow. Yeah. I, you know, wow. I'm on pace until you pointed out that hair pattern, is it what we're calling it? I, I never thought of it like that. But then uh, the Sex and the City trio has that exact exactly. hair pattern, especially with the, the one red so common oh, yeah. in uh, Hollywood in TV like, shows, wow. movies. It just shows up in Gang On. There are so many more redheads in Hollywood than there are anywhere else. That's, that's quite an accomplishment. <laughs> well, you know, women aren't allowed to have personality, so they just go with hair color instead. Mm. That is real. I was going to say the other, one of the other ones that stuck out for me was the unintentional harm that happens in the movie. Mm. Right, like they open the book and oh no, it's causing this. They light the candle and oh no, this other thing. Um, and right. it reminded me of there's a passage in Romans chapter seven where Paul is writing and he it's this like convoluted like I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want is it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be law that when I do when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. And which is like a super convoluted way for Paul to say, like, I mess up. I don't mean to, but I cause unintentional harm. Um, and so I was just like, yeah, that that tracks for what we're talking about. Yeah, for uh, that's something that yeah. Luther, uh, uh, for our listeners who are just now turning to this episode for the first time, if this is your first one, um, I'm a Luther scholar. So that's kind of ties into Paul is kind of the source of a lot of Luther's theology around sin. And he kind of sees it through an Augustine, uh, Augustinian lens. And so there's, so there's kind of that basis for sin. And so what, so if you go back and listen to, I think it was episode four of this season, we talk, we take a deep dive into sin and I talk about kind of this notion of structural sin, which is a sin that we are kind of embedded in. And that's might be what could be called original sin, but this is kind of like a more contextual understanding. Like we, 
by being white, mm-hmm. I participate in the sin of white privilege and racism without intending to, mm-hmm. but I still receive benefits and harm others. So it's kind of, so that's kind of structural mm-hmm. communal sin that I am embedded in, or we could talk about capitalism or uh, so many other ways. And so that, so that's what that unintentional harm always kind of brings to mind for me personally is like the ways in which I do harm, even when I'm intending to do good, but it's not something that I necessarily have choice or agency over. It's all muddy. And it's so kind of what we're supposed to do um, as Christians, but also as like progressive people, you know, is try to minimize that harm by working on ourselves, listening to uh, marginalized folk and um, being part of their, or following their lead in helping to dismantle some of these systems like white supremacy and stuff. So, so that's kind of what comes to my mind. Well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking even earlier in the movie when um, all this harm comes about because this was someone's idea of fun. So, you know, they decide, Hey, let's sneak into the abandoned house. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, 300 years before I have no idea how Emily you know, got over there uh, to the Sanderson's house. I can only assume it was just, you know, something entertaining that she wanted to do. Yeah. Well, I think it's said that Sarah lures her there. Ah, okay. How come she's the only one that got lured there? Like, what about all the other kids? That's a good question, because yeah. previously, yeah, otherwise when Sarah lures, it's like anybody she can reach, but this time it was only Emily. For, maybe Emily was the only kid in the neighborhood. Maybe Emily was and, like, just maybe the, the, houses were the really coolest scattered. and best because the name was so very unique and wonderful <laughs> at the time. Yes. Yes. Valid. <laughs> Valid. Possible. Love it. Well, my theological takeaway was even though I was mostly irritated by max i i could sympathize yeah. i could sympathize with the source of his crankiness which is you know he didn't want to move um and this this whole this whole notion of displacement has been on my mm-hmm. mind lately especially with what's you know a lot of what's happening right now so many people are getting displaced by natural disaster and just lack of opportunity um mm-hmm. for max however Something that I've been ruminating on somewhat uncomfortably is it seems that rooting, being rooted for him, meant getting the girl to like him back. And what are the implications of this kind of thinking? Compulsive heteronormativity. Compulsive heterosexuality. Yeah. Compulsory heterosexuality. Also, like he and Allison did not actually have any chemistry whatsoever. <laughs> right. And yeah, like some of that was, you know, Allison actually having taste, which good for yeah. you here. But I, yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree. They they weren't believable as a pair. Yeah. yeah, and 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 I want to be clear. I'm not like trying to cast shade on on the actor who played oh, Max. No. Like yeah. I can tell that he was he was doing his yeah. best with what he was given. That's right. fine. Um, but this is not about his skill or talent. This is about the character and the writing. Absolutely. And Max was written to be a jerk. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. The that kid, the 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 actor who plays Max was was really present totally not phoning the sin so yeah and every everyone everyone did a really great job they were just really on on screen just very present yeah 
Yeah, there are some movies where you get the feeling that everybody is having a great time backstage. Yeah. Um, some of the behind-the-scenes trivia, uh, there's this book that I was reading for some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. I just want a quick shout-out. Uh, the book is called Hocus Pocus in Focus. Um, yeah, really cute. Uh, by Aaron Wallace. And it kind of is this... I think it came out for the film's 25th anniversary a few years ago. But it goes into a lot of the behind-the-scenes detail on how this film got made. And I'm actually going to use this as a source for my deep dive in a minute. But, like, it, they say that, like, Sarah Jessica Parker, for instance, had so much fun in the flying rig that she would just stay up there for hours in between takes reading her lines and stuff. <laughs> so it definitely seems like this kind oh, of laid-back, so fun approach to this movie so so it sounds so really like you're saying okay it's not like she got to do that in sex in the city so (laughs) right she's she was just so charming in this movie i really wish that she had done more comedy because there's it's been hard for women to have a presence in comedy especially in the 90s I, I don't think I don't yeah. think things started really taking off for women in comedy until Tina Fey really, you know, started becoming more visible. Mm. Uh, going back to the um, the actor who plays Max and how every everyone had a good time on this show. I mean, on this movie. Um, well, some of these actors apparently have Instagram. <laughs> And they have Instagrams with each other, which I think is really cute. And I was looking up the wiki, the Wikipedia bio of the actor who plays Max, and I get the feeling that a Hocus Pocus fan may have edited it because under his bio, there's like an obligatory paragraph of where he was born, how old he is, and then just one more lasting con- concluding sentence that says he is still in touch with his co-stars from Hocus Pocus. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> That's fandom continues. Yay. So I promise again to some virgin stuff. There are two quick things I want to mention first. Um, first is there's kind of this baptism illusion early on with the burning rain of death stuff mm-hmm. and water. Yeah. I noticed that too, Pace. Yeah. And then oh, there's like that black river which is really a road but they think is like a river or something so it's like there's a lot of like water stuff at the beginning and also that water could harm a witch kind of going back to the wizard of oz and there's kind of Mm -hmm. a baptismal thing in there like because a witch's soul is damned of course water is going to harm a witch or something like that because that's the agent of baptism okay who else who else wants bet who else wants bet midler say right <laughs> that'd be great <laughs> <laughs> yes please yes please <laughs> well i love that you brought up this point about water because i i was i was giving it some thought when uh sarah discovers that the road is firm and then they're all saying oh i like it firm i like it firm but anyway, that's a different I know, right? line of thinking <laughs> different line of thinking mm-hmm. and so I, I was i was i was wondering like um was sarah thinking to herself that she's walking on water and not understanding mm-hmm. that this is a road you know because i i that was the impression that was the vibe i was getting mm-hmm. yeah I, very possible. I, both she and Mary are very much played for ditzes at various times yeah. in the movie. Yep. So, Which, of course, is yeah. another problematic trope of... Excuse me. Yep. 
is it weird that I was kind of grateful that the dark-haired sister actually got that tropication yeah, too? So yeah. it wasn't like in the '90s that was actually kind of notable. So. They played it up though for Sarah's character, yeah. like as especially dim-witted, yeah. or I, that's probably not yeah. a good term, but like she, especially she, like she, not quite being with the program, and it's just like really <laughs> she, she she got them hanged, yeah. y'all. Yeah, yeah that's um, true. and then of course there there's Fair all right. sorts of theological stuff I can dive into about like the socio witches with satan and devil worship which this movie for a kids movie does not shy away from like we get witches mm-hmm. in harry potter that causes huge backlash moral backlash in some evangelical communities because of witchcraft being portrayed through this very christian <laughs> kind of lens and yeah and yet this movie which is openly talking about witches being satan worshipers is just interesting that this 1993 right. children's movie is just like blatant about that, but I mean the book is bound yeah. in human skin and has an eyeball an, blinking uh, yeah. at me, you know the and and there's child sacrifice all over the place mm-hmm. like that that is they are sacrificing children so that they can be young although I'm not entirely sure if that like also goes along with the long life thing or does it just make them young and then they have to sacrifice another child and then if they sacrifice a whole bunch of children at once yeah. then they get to like live forever or close enough I, that's not really yeah. clear that's a good point it's not really clear because it really seems to imply like the one child that they sacrificed in the beginning of the film emily gave them mm-hmm. like de-aged them and made them youthful Youth. again mm-hmm. indeed because exactly. of course that's all women so, want to be yeah. young and pretty forever. And then right. um but then late but they say at that moment, oh, this is just one, it's going to fade. We need more children. And then of course at the end of the movie when they bring all the children of Salem to the house, it implies that they're gonna live forever if they kill all the children at once. So maybe <laughs> there's like a threshold they need to meet. It's not quite clear, like you're saying. Or would it just mm-hmm. keep de-aging them till they become like embryos Baby. or something like is that going to happen like, like wobbling yeah. around that would be so, kind of um, useless yeah so i kind of ran when um i watched this i screened this movie with emily and i kind of ran this theory by emily as i was watching this and it's not a theory that i came up with myself this is um in the book i was talking about about while uh hooks focus and focus in chapter 70 goes into this but it's kind of about virginity and i'm not sure emily bought it so you can argue your points <laughs> after i explain it but um uh-huh. first some con- context like the movie does not shy away from using the term virgin it says it i believe nine times in the film for, and it's, a lot. it doesn't explain what it is it kind of is assuming that there's some sort of cultural awareness i know when i saw it for the first time as an eight-year-old I knew virgin had something to do with sex. I wasn't quite sure what it meant, but I heard it in church about Mary and it kind of a miraculous <laughs> thing. So I wasn't so like, I'm pretty sure by the time I had seen this movie, I had had the awkward conversation with my parents where I asked what virgin meant because of Mary in the Bible. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the, yeah. So the, so the movie kind of is playing on this trope of what is a virgin. And um, mm-hmm. I'm a medieval Scholar, like my focus in grad school and my PhD is on Martin Luther, who is late medieval, early modern. And so I spent a lot of time researching like queer sexuality and what sexuality was in the medieval era. And at mm-hmm. this time, um, I'd like I'll put in the show notes this uh, lecture, just some content warning there. It's not safe for work. It shows art depictions of nude people, but like medieval art depictions of nudity. So just know that before you watch it. But um. 
this lecture, Bob Mills makes an argument that virginity was a sexual orientation in the medieval era. So in today's conceptualization, mm-hmm. we have like homosexual, oh. bisexual stuff. In mm-hmm. the medieval, it wasn't allosexual and um, asexual kind of in the way we we frame it today. But it was more of this chosen virginity, virgin life, which was a chosen sexuality that was kind of this pure thing. And then there's this other type of sexuality, which is best expressed in fam- family life and stuff. And so that kind of plays into even today, um, today's understanding of virginity as something, as some kind of trait that a person can have, even though there's not really, especially in most people assigned male at birth, there's not really any sort of biological changes after you have sex for the first time. And in, even in most people assigned mm. uh, female at birth, again, not many biological changes. There might be a little bit of um, the the first time. Only if you do it wrong. Yeah. The first time I was going to say, occasionally like, yeah. cause uh, some <laughs> bleeding and stuff, but like it's even Wh- which that, means is very... that he sucks and you should leave him, but whatever. Um, so, right? Yeah. The num- oh my gosh, the number yeah, like, of romance novels though where like oh, every oh, the single line. time oh, the, the woman and it's line. like, "Oh, and there was a little bit of pain." And it's like, "Y'all are doing it wrong." Right? Or, you know, you just actually <laughs> haven't looked into biology and what that, you know, means, but yeah. I- exactly. So mm-hmm. so so it's weird Indeed. that that we have at least in the western world or the western hemisphere, we have this notion of virginity as kind of like being this trait that it is almost it's almost a way of being and then it can be changed by having sex for the first time and but i kind of like the idea of it as an orientation and i could swear that some years ago i saw a cartoon on i think tumblr probably um of like uh, yes. somebody ex- it's always on tumblr um somebody was trying to explain the concept of orientation and virginity in uh, the medieval life and wound up drawing this little cartoon about a monk who uh, claimed that he and his brother monk were uh, like uh, heavenly married or, you know, married in heaven or something, but they were both like, they Mm -hmm. they did not have sex because they were monks. And so they did not engage in that kind of thing. Uh, But they loved each other and and would like be together forever or something. Um, It was, it was so cute. It was actually drawn in chibi style. That's adorable. That is way better than the example that was coming to mind for me, which was the number of people who like in the conservative Christian circles would like, have sex and then that was bad yeah quote unquote bad and so then they would like pray to like become virgins again saved all over again yep that movie right but but not even just like saved just like becoming a virgin again and the number of like girls who maybe were raped and then that happened again Mm -hmm. uh and then like like I remember somebody in health class asking about virginity or whatever and the health teacher was like well once you like once you've done it you can't like get it back and like the health teacher had no idea that the person they were talking to was a survivor of rape but like that is not what that person who is a survivor of rape and Christian needed to hear in that moment Right. right. They needed to hear that, like, virginity is bullshit. Yeah. But, that, that's something yeah. 
uh, we just recorded a mini so that had a little bit of con- talk about purity culture, and that kind of plays into that too. And in a few weeks, we hope to have Elle Dowd on, and I'm sure we're going to dive into Ooh. that a little bit more because mm-hmm. that's one of the stuff that she's written about and talks publicly about in her ministry. But um, yeah. yeah, Emily, your your line of thinking was a little. Uh, uglier than the way I was going, which was much more along the lines of the girls that I have known that uh, stuck to blowjobs and anal so that they would still be virgins. Right. Because that's totally how that works. I, so. Yeah. that I've seen I've seen yeah. that talked about and jo- joked about, of course, too, but talked about as well. And But there is kind of this assumption that um, there's when one has sex for the first time, it is kind of a rite of passage into adulthood. So it, we talk mm-hmm. about ma- uh, having sex for the first time makes a man out of somebody. Or when you're married mm-hmm. as a woman, you're supposed to marry as a virgin. You go from miss to missus. So you're finally an adult woman now that you've been married and in theory been um, had sex with your husband. Of course, we're talking like in this cisgender heterosexual understanding of this. So, so there's kind of this like embeddedness in this culture of this. So that brings me to this theory that Wallace has in his book, which I'm convinced by, and I'm curious to hear what you all think. But basically, they are saying that um, notice when, first of all, notice when uh, Sarah sings a song at the end and we see people, mostly children, but there are some teenagers and even appears some adults being drawn to Mary's cottage. Uh, to the sister's mm-hmm. cottage so that so she's singing come little children but the argument is that children here is meant to be the the song is kind of this play on words where children is meant kind of in the biblical mistranslation of the isaiah passage of virgin um, yeah where here it's meaning oh. virgin like come little virgins yeah. to my garden which is huh. a well, not well, not to the, in today's language. Okay, as Sarah Jessica's Parker's Sarah Jessica Parker would have loved to sing "Come, Little Virgins, I'll Take You Away." Yep, <laughs> you know she would have loved that. <laughs> to her garden, which is a slang term for <laughs> vagina or for yeah, like female sexual net mm. or as t- was considered yep. female um sexual anatomy. So it's just like this really interesting take so she's singing like virgins Mm -hmm. come to me so i can turn you into adults or something like that and but also there's that thing of sealing their life force so Mm -hmm. this comes into play when allison makes it kind of clear that she or dodges the question she's not gonna answer she's a virgin or not notice who Mm -hmm. that song does not work on max and allison they're the only kids in the entire town that are not being drawn to that and Max was a virgin when he lit the candle. He wakes up, Allison and him wake up in each other's arms in his, in some sort of comfy area of their bed. Um, right after the green smoke explodes out of the school's chimney, which is kind of a visual symbolism of um, maybe a climax of some sort happening. So there's this speculation that max is no longer a virgin at the end of the film which is a why that song doesn't work on him but b also why the potion that winifred is drinking is not working she keeps trying to get younger she should be immortal because by the sun comes up she's already had a few sips of the potion yet she still dies so why didn't the potion Mm. work when max drank it 
I have two objections to this. Please, one, share. <laughs> one, if Max and Allison were going to lose, if Max was going to lose his virginity, I don't know. I didn't lose my virginity personally. I know exactly what happened to it. But... <laughs> But if Max was mm. going to be, you know, not being a virgin anymore in that scene, <laughs> it would have been 10 feet from his sleeping baby sister and human voice speaking cat. Okay. Allison has better taste than Max, but Allison definitely is not nearly creepy enough to have sex right next to a sleeping eight-year-old. <laughs> mm -hmm. No. Um, secondly, the whole... Yeah. Uh, so, like... It, if, if you wanted to tell me that they had sex some other time, maybe, sure. You know, we all slip now and then, but um, in, in terms of Allison having taste, but, uh, but not during, uh, not during that bit. Um, also, uh, secondly, the thing about the, the stealing the life force thing, not working. If you watch the very first scene where they're stealing Emily's, Winifred tries to take a couple sips of her alone and nothing happens. It's not until all three sisters start, drinking it that it actually Ooh. starts to work and all three sisters never actually get to drink from max that's fair but so. you'd also think that Winifred but yeah might so know i that. don't know but why i i don't know why the song didn't work on them but that, or at least on max that's some interesting eucharistic theology too about it only working when you're in community with your siblings so just mm -hmm. pointing that little piece out as you said that that came to mind yeah also i would just like to point out that like at any point they could have just thrown it on the ground and solved the problem. Max could have just made sure he dumped it all the way out and they wouldn't have had time to make a new potion. Yeah. Or he could have just dropped the thing instead of drinking he it. He didn't need to catch it. That's the weirdest part. Like the potion fell out of Binks, uh, out of when Binks hits the broom, it falls out of Winifred's hands. He didn't need to catch it. He could just let it fall on the ground. Yep. Well, yes, but then there would have been three very angry witches who had some time before dawn to, you know, try to actually just straight up kill them. Like twenty they seconds, weren't be able to do but still, else. yeah. Well, yeah, That's but fair. he didn't know exactly when dawn was going to be. Yeah. So I figure he's stalling until fair. he, yeah, until he can't anymore. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, I thought I was skeptical. I was more, I was going for it more this time that you were presenting it, Pace, until Kay came in, and then it's like, yeah, no. Allison would not have done that <laughs> that close to his. I mean, it sister. is a Disney movie that is pretty <laughs> queer. Like Bette Midler has said that she based her impersonation, her Winifred character, off of drag queens and drag culture, and that's very clearly for Kenny Ortega. Also, in his mind, you can kind of see that camp aesthetic coming mm -hmm. out, especially in the musical number. Yeah. Has anyone else here seen Beaches? I have not. But yes, I, 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 I kid you not. I said to Pace during the movie, I was complimenting Bette Midler on her versatility, <laughs> and I said to Pace, I said to Pace, note that this is the same woman who was in Beaches. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I and then I tried to ask myself, so who would Winifred sing "Wind Beneath My Wings" to? And the the realization <laughs> that there are really only two options. Either, well, three options: herself. Her book or her mother. And that's about it. Maybe <laughs> Satan? I don't know. But yeah. yeah. I kind of like... Herself, her book, or her what? Or her mother. She seems I, to think... I, I, I ship her and her book. Like, they are clearly an item. 
But uh, <laughs> oh, that's creepy. I mean, it's oh, made of human skin. We see an eye. There could be a mouth or other body yep. parts there that we have not seen. Well, yes, but now I'm having flashbacks to that episode of Doctor Who where the woman gets trapped in the section of pavement, and then the, the her boyfriend implies that they still have a sex life, and the obvious that implications such, of that. Such it was a so creepy, horrible. such a creepy oh, yeah. scene in that show so gross like up until that scene that male character was actually a perfectly reasonably decent guy and then i just wanted to stab him in the face so <laughs> i haven't seen that but that description was very I, yeah sorry um, <laughs> the thing is is that like 90 percent of that episode i love because it's this wonderful thing where these characters who are people who have brushed up briefly against the doctor but never really like done anything with him in mm. companion style and they all get together they all share their theories about the doctor and then they get bored and co- form a cover band and yeah. it, it's this wonderful <laughs> bit about how like just because you rushed into the doctor doesn't mean you can't have your own life and then that all gets ruined because they all get killed by aliens except for the the one guy who survives and the one woman who's stuck in the piece of uh of sidewalk but who i <laughs> played by the actress who plays <laughs> moaning myrtle to bring it back to the Harry Potter. oh that's right oh for Ooh. crying out loud i forgot that really yeah no, the amount of doctor who harry potter overlap which is, is yeah, also ridiculous. kind of creepy on a sexual level too the moaning, whole moaning myrtle scene and there's also some I've, i read a very a recent um blog post i believe or maybe as an article i'll see if i can find it to link in the show notes saying how that moaning myrtle kind of betrays the author who will not be named trans panic about mm-hmm. bathrooms so just right because who's the that. like creeper oh. in the bathroom that time yep right so Bonnie Myrtle isn't trans at all, but yes, I, I see where you're going with that. Yeah, yeah. so so yeah, I'll see if I can find that. Point. But yeah, um, but I was trying to say is that the movie is pretty queer, so I could see them trying to imply some contrived heteros and compulsory heterosexuality between Max and Allison, and in that kind of light, like having them sleep together is a good way to ground this as a straight person film, even though the film is so over the top and queer and campy in every other yeah. respect, which is like. Yeah. Typical Disney. Yeah. I was also wondering if that, like, them falling asleep together was supposed to be a reference to West Side Story or not, but I can't oh. really sell myself either way. Because, like, that's how they imply that uh, that those two have sex, but... That is something... So, um, in this, I didn't go into it in um, as much detail as the author did, but in this chapter of the book are talking about, he goes into great detail to explain the ways that Hollywood has shown sex on film without showing it like falling asleep together Mm -hmm. or having a smoke appear as like this ejaculatory (laughs) thing like he he goes into great detail to say from a cinematic perspective this really really seems to heavily imply that there is some sort of sexual action Mm -hmm. happening there between them and maybe it is the like queer baiting right like the sex baiting that we're going to put all of these like contextual cinematic hints in without actually having any solid evidence. I like that. Which people do with queer people. It's aloe baiting. I love it. Yeah. Or maybe Max was just having a wet dream. Well, that's very likely too. I mean, she wakes up like sitting on his crotch area. So I don't. Yeah. So there's that too. I mean, yeah, they that... are clothed, but she is clearly sitting like right on that. Right. So. The, pos- the positioning yeah. and the angling. I'm like, what is supposed to be happening in that moment? It's just <laughs> very weird. But I also agree. Like Allison would not have sex. Yeah, with 
Exactly. That, yeah. Alice right. was too good for that. Maybe they snuck off somewhere and did it, but yeah. Yeah, like Allison would not want to have sex with a guy who was willing to have sex ten feet away from his sleeping eight-year-old right? sister. I know. I love that we're basing this entire theory on how awesome Allison is. And how awesome. <laughs> also, Danny would not. Danny would Thank wake you. up and throw pillows at them. Yes, I mean, absolutely. we saw her reaction yeah. to <laughs> Max pretending that his pillow was Allison early on. Like she was, <laughs> she interrupted that and called bullshit oh, on that. So I know she'd do the same thing. Right. Yeah, definitely. So I think that's it for deep dives. Unless there's any other closing thoughts you all want to do. That was, that was a cool. thorough deep dive. There were so many interesting directions. I know this is going to be a super <laughs> long episode and we'll try to get poor Matt. will have to try to cut out some, but it's such a good movie and we have such great smart mm-hmm. guests with us that we have to go deep. Exactly. It's, it's a good mm-hmm. movie that generated some amazing insights. Mm-hmm. So I guess we're to rating the movie and because this season we are focusing on kind of our, we each season we pick a franchise to kind of be the bedrock of our season and this season is the friday the 13th franchise and his famous mm. weapon is a machete so out of 10 machetes 10 being perfect how would you rate this film how many machetes would you give it so being clear that when i think of machetes i think of machete order as in the order you should watch the star wars films in which i haven't That's actually what tried I was yet, thinking I too. Um, i have and it's good i have as okay, well yeah, I, I love that yeah I, I am one of those rare souls that actually has warm and fuzzy memories of Phantom Menace, but it, that's a long story. Um, I watched them all. I, I, I the like that one. movie. I know. And then and then the two movies afterwards, <laughs> Hayden Christensen was trying so hard, and I just feel bad for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I like the Clone Wars as well. I yeah. like the robots. Yeah, I'm clearly not a Star Wars fan. <laughs> <laughs> and and like you know we should all be as awesome as natalie portman I, the world would be a better for place for real uh, but Word. okay but to actually get around to what you were asking um <laughs> if we're rating this as a disney film a live action disney film from the 90s i would say nine out of ten because uh, large part because uh max could be a little better if max was better it would be a 10 out of 10 if if yeah. uh, bet midler wasn't there it would be like a six yeah for real um but, for real but, yeah, yeah. So, um and uh yeah so i but i don't know how to rate it aside from as a disney movie in the 90s so yeah yep that that works. We we say rate however it brings you joy. It could just be how much fun you're having in the moment or it could be very like how does this rank in the pantheon of great films which maybe it wouldn't be a 9 out of 10 but I tend to maybe be more, like more subjective than that. So Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it in context cuz I think especially for the 90s yeah, I'm pretty close to K on that. That Midler 9 out of 10 given the um I pu- I'll put a spell on you mm-hmm. taking the song and that sort of thing a very nine instead of a ten mm-hmm. um and danny obviously gets a 10 out of 10 For real. danny is a 10 yeah absolutely danny is a 10 um no question i would probably go like a seven or eight maybe great perfect overall <laughs> machete i think i think overall i would uh all things considered nine machetes out of 10 everything for me just converges together even the rough edges which i think are balanced out by so many fabulous things i mean bet midler thor birch yeah <laughs> you know um you know and i loved i love the kitty yes. so 
Yeah. Oh, thanks. And um, I exactly. And um, just on a subjective, personal level, this the joy that this movie brought me <laughs> was needed. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's such a for me. It's one of those movies that is such a like comfort movie. Like it's from my childhood in many ways. So it's like I grew up with it. So it's just one of those movies I'm happy to put on anytime. Matt and I, Matt mm-hmm. loves this movie. My husband, like this is <laughs> he. The I don't know if you're familiar with the pop figures. Basically, like Funko makes these little plastic yes. figures. Oh, so yay. Matt has collected all the Winifred sisters of those. His big dream is one one day for. Um, him, Brian, and I to go as the Sanderson sisters for Halloween one year in drag. <laughs> oh Brian would never do that, and I don't know who do I would play it. except Mary, maybe. But I love Mary; she's great. Matt, of course, insists on being Winifred, so I'm sure Matt <laughs> would rate this would. a ten out of ten. I don't know if he's there to weigh in, but probably not. Oh yeah, <laughs> I saw the mic go and go. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, Pace, we already knew that he had excellent taste because he's married to you, right? Oh, that's so sweet. Aww. Thank so you. Cute. Yeah, I so see now I'm blushing. No, but um, I would say probably <laughs> 9 out of 10 machetes for me as well. Um, almost a 10 out of 10. Maybe if I watched it a few years ago, it would have been a 10 out of 10. But um, as I get older, my taste would change a little bit. But it's just so fun, so queer. And for a mm-hmm. 90s movie, like it's pretty vanilla in the good ways and kind of not not vanilla in the best ways so like in a way that just works Mm -hmm. for me um so usually we ask for a favorite kill but not many people die in this and i emily might i think it's the only person no emily and thackeray are the only people who die and the sisters so i'm not sure if we'd rate that but it's not technically a death but the first time that billy loses his head was a lovely piece of physical comedy. I liked that. I love it. That was good. <laughs> they did that. Yeah, that was a good one. I was thinking I really enjoyed the like light shooting out at all angles of the <laughs> stuff. Yeah, like exploding into glitter is such a gay way to die. Right? I just love. <laughs> like this movie is clearly queer love at it. its core. We have a gay director. We have a one of the gay mm-hmm. div. Like um the what are they called the icons the divas. gay icons diva icons in that Midler so I mean it's just like and Sarah Jessica Parker of course has become mm-hmm. one as well mm-hmm. with Sex and City mm-hmm. so it's just like so gay and so like exploding to glitter such a great <laughs> if I'm gonna go out let me explode into eco friendly <laughs> glitter 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 in 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 the sky no less right. yes I. I I enjoyed this really brief moment where uh, it toward the end Billy's head fell off and Danny just casually picked it up yeah. and politely gave it back to him. She's so yeah. helpful. She is such a little. And I love that. Um, yeah. When like you know, kids are so I'm adaptable. You know, I have to help you get your head back. I... Yeah. <laughs> when kids are so adaptable, right? Like all Max has yeah. to do is say, "No, it's okay. He's good." And then Danny's like, "Oh, hi, Billy." Like. Yep. <laughs> we're friends now yeah Mm -hmm. i'm just i'm just kind of baffled at billy's fate he just casually crawls back into his grave and he's just gonna sleep forever i kind of got the feeling he was really enjoying being dead and not having to put up with sanderson sisters anymore especially once he like 
could actually open his mouth and let yeah. that be known. And... Yeah. Which is yeah. really interesting <laughs> what this movie presents as an afterlife. Um, so we already passed our deep dive, but just as a very quick comment is like, Billy seems to just go to sleep when he dies. Uh, Thackeray and Danny, mm-hmm. uh, Thackeray and Emily seem to go to heaven. The sisters have openly talked about spending time in hell. So there clearly seems to be some sort of afterlife. It's just interesting. Like, why didn't Billy get to go <laughs> to heaven or hell or somewhere? Not- or was Billy I- undead and the others weren't? Yeah, that's true, too. I also like, I think, I mean, this connects with how I've thought about the afterlife for a long time, but the idea of like having some control or agency over your afterlife so that like for Mm. people who don't believe in God, don't want to go to heaven, they can just end or they can just like go to sleep. And then for the Sanderson sisters, obviously they want to be with the devil in the hell and yeah (laughs) that Um, that 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 uh that reflects what i was thinking about um how winifred mentioned having been in hell and how much she liked it yeah (laughs) so you know i mean just because all the sacred scriptures say hell is this terrible place you know doesn't preclude that one could you know have fun (laughs) yeah if there's a rock and roll heaven i'm sure they have a hell of a band yeah (laughs) Love it. Sounds about right. That's cute. I love it. it. It's actually a song. <laughs> uh, my my dad is exactly the kind of classic rock fan who not only loved that song but made a series of CDs based on it because it lists a bunch of dead rock stars. And so first wow. the first CD had the dead rock stars mentioned in the song, and then all the other CDs had songs from people who were just you know dead, which was a little creepy, but yeah. <laughs> it works. It's exactly his sense of humor. That that, that sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> So I think we're at the part of the podcast where we <laughs> ask everyone for their real life horror stories. We ask this of all our guests as so basically it, it's how we interpret it for some people. It might be a supernatural occurrence that happened at church or church camp or anything like that, or an exorcism, even if they've ever seen something like that performed for others, it's church and mo- what our most frequent um, hor- church horror stories are is bad theology, bad people being or good people mm. doing gross things like mm-hmm. somewhere along those lines so whichever you'd like to start if you'd like to go do we want to end on the lighthearted note or start on it <laughs> yeah uh we should probably end so yeah right. okay uh so my story is from when i was a uh, intern pastor uh, on my own in northwestern iowa i arrived at this church in June of 2009, which for those of you who don't have ties to the ELCA, in August of 2009 was when the uh, ELCA General Assembly uh, voted to ordain people in homosexual relationships and then everything exploded. Voted to allow people openly serving in same-gender relationships to be ordained and promised to help us get calls and serve the church. Yeah, it's that second part we're still not that I'm better about it at all. A little piece in there about in our social statement about bound conscience, which I'm also not gonna get into, but Uh, that's the piece I'm bitter about too. I mean, Anybody can believe anything we, they we want. We have plenty of horror stories, but yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a very specific one that happened specifically in, in northwestern Iowa. Um, so I was mm. at this converse- congregation for two months, uh, and 
I this is also the congregation where I adopted my cat, so I do mm. have warm, fuzzy memories of this place. Uh, she was a tiny kitten when I got there, um, and so I had been there a couple of months. The initial vote goes through. I make a very carefully worded announcement at the start of worship. It goes okay. I have some conversations with some concerned members because this is an extremely conservative community. Uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks, it's not that mm. big of a deal, and then. At the end of summer, every year in Iowa, there is a bike race called Ragbri, uh, which yeah. is a bike race that goes across the state of Iowa. And it's a, a huge thing. And it went through not the town that this church was in, but a town next door. And they would usually have like they wouldn't themselves have um, a stand to like sell stuff or uh, or help the riders. But uh, a lot of the people there were involved in stands and uh, tables to sell stuff uh, there. And so a woman comes in uh, like a couple weeks before Ragbri and she says, Oh, I have an announcement pastor. And uh, so I say, sure. And she is super involved in Ragbri. I just assume being a young, innocent intern pastor who doesn't know what she's doing and clearly should have thought this through that it's about Ragbri. And so I just say, sure, go for it. Uh, just uh, I'll announce you and, and let me know when you're done. Mm -hmm. And then she actually gets up there and then about three seconds into her announcement, I realized this is not about rag bribe. This is about an ongoing conversation that she's been having with the bishop of our synod, uh, the, the regional leader, you might say, mm. um, through email uh, about the vote that had happened a couple months before. And she was one of the many people there who was very unhappy about it. And uh, she read the emails between her and the bishop out loud to the congregation. She gave very little context for any of that. She very carefully phrased a lot of the things that she said to make them sound worse. Um, and she mm -hmm. also made it very clear during her so-called announcement that she had not gotten permission from the bishop to share these emails with anyone. Jeez. Um, so she read the email. She made a very short statement uh, that I am guessing she probably had memorized. And then... She walked right out the doors and left the building because she had to go visit someone. Uh, this woman would later become the uh, president of the congregation and lead this congregation out of the ELCA. Um, and she was very rarely in church while I was there because she claimed that she worked so much the other six days of the week that Sundays were the only days she could go visit her friends in the hospital. That may well have been true. I don't know. It sounded a little odd to me, but I'm also not used to a congregation president who almost never comes to church. But um, but yeah, that, that was an exhausting morning. I spent a good solid 20 minutes trying to calm the congregation down by just talking endlessly, like whatever came out of my mouth. I don't actually remember any of that. I, I kind of fugued it. Um, but mm -hmm. I, I managed to calm them down to the point we could actually start worship. We had worship. And then I went home and I called the bishop. And, oh, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation afterwards <laughs> that, that he had with her. But uh, And then it all cooled down eventually. But, oh, that was one of the... Let me tell you, if somebody tells me they have an announcement now, I check what it is first. <laughs> mm -hmm. so. yeah. yeah. I mean, to be fair, the bishop yeah. has to assume that any email they send is... Going oh, he to had it public, in his email but... signature. I knew because I had seen it myself that that these are confidential emails, and he needed to like give permission to share them with other people. So yeah. Oh, that's weird, and also like make both make sense, and also like you're a bishop, so good luck. 
Well, like, yeah, I, I get that. It, it wasn't worded in a creepy way. I don't remember exactly how it was worded, but it was just yeah. sort of like, these are confidential or like, I think it was more along the lines of, I will keep these confidential rather than yeah. you come yeah. back of it. But yeah. That's so, yeah, that sucks for you though, as like the intern. Mm. Yeah. And I had been there maybe three months by this point. Oof. One That's of these awful. days I'll have to share in a minisode the story of when I was on internship uh, within the first two months. This was tw- my internship was 2010 to 2011. So just a year after this decision and the mm-hmm. p- pastor who knew I was queer, but did I, we weren't, I was not out to each other. It was just one of those unspoken things left for vacation and gave me and told me I needed to teach a class on what marriage means in the ELCA by myself without pastoral support, my second month of internship as a queer person in a fairly conservative congregation. So just naming that will be a story one of these days. Like, yeah, yeah, like I did an ongoing Bible study because of that, but I, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. I, that reminds me of my like adventures post 2009 policy change. I was in, I was doing, the ELCA Big Lutheran Church's program of young adults in global mission in Eastern Slovakia, which is very conservative. That was a whole other adventure, but I'm not going to share that because that's like not a lighthearted horror story. Mine is there's this, okay, it's kind of a horror story, kind of not, but there's <laughs> this tradition apparently um, in many congregations, especially for first call where the they and i guess it's like multiple denominations where they pound oh, yeah. the pastor it's reasonable. and it's weird um the idea is the, the, the yeah phrasing please, alone. please explain this because of course our minds are all going to the gutters of what this means exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. This right, is like, not actually a chuck tingle reference i promise yeah the the <laughs> idea is that you give the past you fill the pastor's pantry and fridge with a pound of sugar, a pound of flour, a, like a bunch of different things to like stock their supplies because they've just moved. Um, so my first call was trying to do this um, and for me. And so they asked me like, what are some things that you need? Cause you're, you know, about to start your first call, all that stuff. So I like gave them a short list. It was a pretty short list of things that I wanted. And they were like, oh, and so then I saw an email of them sharing it with the congregation and they said, Pastor Emily didn't ask for a lot of things, but we want to be generous. So we added some things to the list. The things they added, like towels and tissue paper, not tissue paper, Kleenex, tissues, were actually things Mm -hmm that I had plenty of and therefore did not ask for. And in fact, the things that were the easiest for them to buy and so the things that I got the most of, I think I have like one roll of to- of paper towel left from seven years ago. Uh, oh, it just keeps moving with me. But like, <laughs> this is right, this is back to the like unintended harm and unintended consequences of things and like, yeah not listening to what I actually said I needed trying to be generous and then like totally misguided generosity because then I didn't get some of the stuff that I actually wanted or needed. 
but yeah. Oh my gosh. Moving must have been thing. so hard for you the last several years. <laughs> I, gracious. Um, yeah. Yeah. We've moved so very many times. Fairly confident right. that this last roll of paper towels will be used before I move again. But, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. So that was that was a pounding. <laughs> right? <laughs> I can see the book cover now. I, anyway. <laughs> well, thank you both so, so, so much for... Oh guess gosh, this has yes. been such a fun episode. <laughs> thank you for being our sister or sibling podcast where you mm-hmm. allowed us to be a spinoff and kind of do our own thing with this. But also yes. you all have, of course, your own great content. So it's just been such a pleasure to have exactly. you on here. Thank you for having us on um, last May, I think it was. So uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. Where can guests find you if they want to look up both Nerds at Church, but also if you have personal Twitters or anything like that that you want to link them to? So Nerds at Church is on Anchor uh, Podcasts, or you can find us on iTunes, or you can find us on Spotify, or anywhere else you find podcasts, I I believe. Uh, and Nerds mm-hmm. at Church is all one word, um, and the at is actually spelled out. It's, it's not the at symbol. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, we're also on Patreon. Um, and my personal Twitter handle is at Romans eight two one KJV. There's a story behind that. I'm we don't have time to go mm-hmm. into, but it, it's I'm less scary than that sounds. Let's put it that way. So. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Um, and our we're on we have mm, Nerds at Church has a Patreon, like Kay said, um, but also we're on Twitter and Facebook for social media. Again, Nerds at Church, all one word. Um, and then you can follow me on Twitter at Rev underscore Ewing, E-W-I-N-G. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. Thank you so okay. much. Do you have, do either of you have any upcoming pro- projects or any upcoming stuff on the Nerds at Church that you want to quick talk about? Or? Oh, we're going to have a super awesome guest. We actually have a couple guests coming up but one of our guests for our reformation day episode is ah. lutheran is luther scholar pace warfield may yay <gasps> oh my gosh i love their work <laughs> i know and we haven't actually gotten to talk with pace about like specifically luther yet <laughs> so yeah we're looking forward to i of course i on the episode with y'all i'm pretty sure i brought up third use of the law because i ha- yep. feel like i have yeah. to every time i'm doing public theology but which wasn't luther just saying i but, disagree yes. but yes okay <laughs> we can I debate that on our that reformation episode. episode so come to hear it'll this. be at the end of this month yeah but um yeah so Thank you all so much. Uh, again, it's been such a blast. Mm-hmm. And can I just say thank you guys for th- thank you guys for inviting us, but also thank you for existing. Like this is such a wonderful yeah. reimagination of a podcast, and I am so glad you existed. <laughs> yeah, so I love having you all on the sister podcast. It's fantastic. It's so yeah. fun. I love when we and fun to be on. Get to do some mutual affirmation <laughs> and sharing on social media when. They'll treat like I know. Uh, nerds at church will retreat something we say or we'll retreat something. It's just fun. So Yeah. Y'all are the best. Oh, I know that 
the nerds of church twitter is so active i love it that is 100 percent emily just for the record uh, emily is in charge of our social media i i do the sound editing but uh, i am very grateful for emily's gifts yes yeah uh, gifts and gifts even uh. yay love it uh, oh oh it took me a second to get that okay <laughs> Uh, your next movie is well. Thank first of all, thank you all so much again. That w- you all make me smile and blush so much. But anyway, uh, <laughs> same right. same. But our next movie is Friday Thirteenth Part Seven: The New Blood with special guest musician and friend slash uh, biological sister of the podcast or one person of the podcast, <laughs> Jenna Marie Warfield. So she's going to be on to talk about that movie. Very strange movie. If you haven't seen it, it basically can be summed up as Carrie, like the Stephen King telekinetic Carrie versus Jason. Ooh. So it's kind of a Ooh. interesting movie. Aren't, um, aren't they all strange and interesting at this point? Yes. Although this one goes even farther by having a telekinetic protagonist, which is something that hasn't been hinted at existing in the Jason. This is the sure. where the horror nerd oh, comes out and Pace starts rambling. So I'm going to not, <laughs> but you'll hear more of this next week. Um, and, in uh, Friday Thirteenth Part Seven, um, anything else before our outro? No, awesome. Okay, well, that's it for our show. Our theme music was by Matt May, who also edited this episode. Horror Nerds at Church releases every Thursday. Please comment, rate, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media: Facebook and Instagram at Horror Nerds at Church, and Twitter at H N A C P O D for all the latest updates about upcoming films, news, and other announcements. Until next time, if you are a virgin, why the hell would you light the black flame candle? Like, that is just... Why in the... Okay. But, good on you. Okay. (laughs) More power. Because Max thinks that everything has to be about him. Exactly. I'm going to impress this girl by causing this... A near apocalypse in my town. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I was I mean, grateful geez. that like he was the virgin in the movie instead of it always being a she. But right, yeah. yeah. Love it. Stay away from black candles if you're a virgin. Yes. Seriously, just. <laughs> yeah.